Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Uh, challenging political season, and we want to glorify you, and we just declare right now, as Luke said this morning, we trust you, and we know that you are in control, and that you are not worried. Amen. All right, well, we are in week two of our politics series called Under God, and uh, last week we talked about the importance of how we cannot let our... um, political lens uh, inform our gospel lens, right? We need to make sure that we're, we're looking at everything we do through the lens of the gospel. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and that was a pretty well-received message. And so if you want to hear something that I say that seems pretty positive and that you'll like, you could listen to that again. Um, and but I didn't want to just do that same thing for four weeks in a row and just go, what's, what, where, where can we find a agreement and, you know, just talk about, because I feel like I've been talking about that for months. We did it in the, the James series, right? We talked about that in the, uh, in the Fear Not series. Like, I, hopefully by this point, you guys are like, okay, Mark, we get it. We're going to put Jesus on the throne and filter everything else through that. So that leaves us with three weeks of talking about politics. And what I have uh, decided to do, what I feel like the Lord led me to do, was let's talk about some of the issues. This is scary. Let's talk about some of the issues that are important to us as Christ followers. And I was like, all right, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, what are we, what, you know, what are the important things that we need to talk about? So, I went over to the uh, National Association of Evangelicals website. It's it's not... Anyway, it's a great website. It's got a lot of good information. We are an evangelical church. um, And if you want more information on what it means to be an evangelical, I'd love to talk about that, but we don't have time for that this morning, right? It means that we... You're evangelicals. We believe in Jesus. We believe that people need to have personal transformation. We believe in the centrality of the cross. We believe the Bible is the word of God. That's what we mean. That's what I mean when I say an evangelical. So the NAE was an organization that was founded in 1942, and it represents evangelical Christians throughout the United States, represents 45,000 local churches and 40 different denominations. And so uh, it's it's a broad organization um, we're not like officially members of the NAE, but we uh, agree with most of the, the things on there, much of the stuff on their website. So anyway, it's helpful. It's a helpful organization. And, and they have this thing on there called the Eight Principles of Christian Political Engagement. And these, I think, can be really, really helpful for us as we pray for our country, as uh, we pray for our world, as we vote for uh, candidates that we think are going to most uh, fulfill these principles. And we're not going to get through all eight of them today. Uh, I was hoping to get through four, but I'm pretty confident I can get through three. So we'll just see, we'll just see where, where we get to. But don't worry, we've got three weeks to get through all these. So this will give you time to, to send me emails about just these ones, and we can just focus on each chunk at a time. Guys, this is going to be fine. 
can you guys tell how excited I am to talk about politics for four weeks? It's, it's just right in my wheelhouse. I feel great about it. Um, so these eight topics that are uh, important principles as we as Christians engage politically are number one. We want to protect religious freedom and liberty of conscience. Number two, we want to safeguard the nature and sanctity of human life. Number three, we want to strengthen marriages, families, and children. Number four, we want to seek justice and compassion for the poor and the vulnerable. Number five, preserving human rights. Six, pursuing racial justice and reconciliation. Seven, promoting just peace and restraining violence. And number eight, caring for God's creation. And different Christians are going to put these things in a different order of importance. And I am not choosing uh, that importance. I'm just going through the NAE 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. All right? And so this is Im- important uh, because we not just to inform how we vote, as I, as I said, but we want to be practicing our Christian faith within our spheres of influence. And so not only are we going to vote, right? That's a good, important thing to do, but we vote. But not only are we supposed to vote, but we want to pray and we want to participate in our community, bringing these principles into our spheres of influence. In Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 7, the prophet says to the exiled Israel, he says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Right? And so we recognize that this was written to a specific people thousands of years ago in a specific place. But we can take this principle and apply it in our lives today. Because we also are in exile. Right? We know that our ultimate future hope is not in this world, but it is in the next world, in the new heavens and the new earth, which will be initiated when Jesus returns again. Right? And we celebrate Jesus' arrival and return in the, in the season of Advent in December. And I've already, I love Advent, and so I've already been doing some reading and some and planning. I'm believing we're going to get through the election season up and we're going to get to Advent and it's going to be great. Where we celebrate, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop saying that. I just apologize if that, just my, that, anyway. See, when I get off my notes, that's just trouble. It's just trouble. Stay focused. So Jesus is coming back. It's going to be great. That is our ultimate hope. So we are living here in this fallen world uh, uh, as exiles, looking forward to that return. But that doesn't mean that we're just like, well, forget it, right? We're just looking forward to Jesus coming back. What does Peter say? This whole world's going to burn and he's going to create a new thing. So let's, we, don't, we don't even have to worry about it. No, 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 no. That's not what we're called to do. We see in the the garden, right? God calls Adam and Eve and all of their descendants, that's us, to be stewards and caretakers of this world. And that means uh, creation, that means our cultures, that means uh, caring for one another, right? And so Jeremiah calls the exiled Israelites to... um, 
to seek the peace and prosperity of their city, to, to be praying for their city. Because as that, that city the, in Babylon is where they were, as Babylon prospered, right, they would prosper. And so it's the same for us as, as our church prospers, as uh, Vandalia and Cass County prospers, as Michigan and the United States prospers, we are going to prosper. And so we work for the peace and the prosperity of all these places that we are in. Right, so we vote and we pray, but we also participate. Right? And at New Day, we don't just talk about, yeah, we're, new, we're, we're pro-life, Good, you know, let, make sure you vote every couple of years, that'll be great. But we participate by uh, aligning with the Three Rivers uh, Pregnancy Helpline, right? And, and, and volunteering there and uh, supporting them financially because, you know, their goal is to help young women and and men who are facing unplanned pregnancy, we want to, they are, do a great job of supporting them and caring for them, helping them to, to choose life and setting them up to succeed and really flourish in the midst of a difficult situation. Right? And so all of these pieces of political engagement are really, really important. And so as we live out our calling to be salt, and to be light in our world as we live out this uh, purpose of revealing the kingdom of, of God, hopefully these eight principles uh, will be helpful as guides for our Christian political engagement. Okay? That's where we're heading. Amber nodded, so I'm feeling good. So the first thing that we want to talk about, the first principle that's important for us as Christ followers is protecting religious freedom and liberty of conscience. So we value religious freedom and liberty of conscience. And both of these are historically at the foundation of the American experiment. And I wasn't familiar with this this phrase, liberty of conscience, so I had to Google it. So I will now tell you what it is. Uh, and so it has three aspects. First is freedom of belief, right? We, we believe that all individuals are at liberty to choose the religious creed they want to embrace or to embrace none at all, okay? Uh, number two, freedom of observance. We believe that individuals are at liberty to practice their religion in a lawful manner. So whatever faith that you ascribe to, we believe that you should be able to to practice that in a lawful manner. And then the third aspect is equal status. All religions and their believers deserve equal treatment under the law. And so this is something that's important to Americans. This is important to Christ followers as well. And we live in a pluralistic country. Just, which just means that there's a, we have a country where people have a diversity of views and a diversity of stands about life. But we want to remember that Christianity is not pluralist. Right? We believe that there is one truth, that there is one Lord Jesus Christ by whom we are saved. And, and so while we don't believe that there are multiple ways to, to heaven. There's not multiple ways to, to uh, salvation, right? We recognize that we live in a pluralist uh, country and that our nation was founded on religious freedom. And I believe that this lines up with the way of God. 
as we see in his, uh, well, in his word, right, that he allows a multitude of views to, uh, to exist at the same time. Not that he says that all views are appropriate, but he does give people a choice. Listen to this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. So we see God allows the the wheat and the weeds to grow until the harvest, right? And the harvest is the, that return of Jesus, that second advent, when, when he comes to restore the heavens and the earth, when we see in Matthew that he separates the sheep from the goats. But as we uh, talked about last week and the week before that and a few weeks before that, God sends the rain on the just and the unjust, so those who obey God and those who disobey God coexist in our society and share in its blessings. And this pluralism is foundational to religious people of all faiths and to people of no faith. Right? And so as we vote, as we engage politically while we follow Jesus, we, just like Jesus, just like the Father, give people liberty of conscience, but we pray that everybody will encounter Jesus, that all people will uh, bend their knee to him as Lord. As we walk through life, we are going to do what Jesus did to, to Matthew and James and John and invite them, follow me, right? Follow me. And for us, we'd say, follow me as I follow Christ. And we pray that they do but we never see Jesus giving them an ultimatum or being coercive or saying, you know, I mean, he tells the truth, but he just lets them choose. Okay. Number one, we did it. Number two, <laughs> number two, the safeguarding of the nature and the sanctity of human life. This is very, very important to us as, as Christ followers, because God has created um, human beings in his image. Right? Every human life from conception to death bears the image of God and has incredible worth, has incredible value. Right? We see this in Genesis 1.27 when, when God creates humanity. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right? And, and so because of this reality, because we believe this, this is a foundational truth of our faith, Christians must be uh, committed 
to a consistent ethic of life that protects image bearers of God at all stages. And we, of course, give special concern the lives of the most vulnerable. That would be the, the unborn, the very young, the elderly, those living in poverty, the chronically ill, those with disabilities, and those with genetic diseases all deserve our particular care and protection. And of course, abortion is the most familiar assault on the sanctity of human life. And the Bible uh, is very, very clear about God's calling and, and care for persons before they are born. Psalm 139.13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I particularly like Isaiah 44.24 where he says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the Maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. And what I love about this is we see these two incredible aspects of God. Right? We, we see that He's the Maker of all things. Right? He stretches out the heavens. He's the one who spoke the, the stars and the sun and the moon into existence. He's the one who holds everything that is together by his very word. Right? He is huge and beyond understanding. And yet he says, I'm your redeemer who formed you in the womb. Right? This massive, unsearchable, uh, spectacular God. I don't even have words for it, right? This huge God also has intimate concern for each and every person, even in utero. And each life lost is a unique creation, right? Made in God's image who could have been an amazing blessing on our society in extraordinary ways. And so we absolutely advocate for the protection of the unborn. Right? And if you are here or you're watching and you've had an abortion, there is grace and there is mercy for you. There is forgiveness. Right? And so we don't want to flippantly make you feel like outsiders. You know, we, are, we are all sinners. We've all fallen short. And so we, we welcome you and we love you and we speak grace to you. But we also hold firmly to the truth that that is not good, right? That that is not right. And so while we absolutely advocate for the protection of the unborn, we can't stop there. We don't stop there. And I'm going to read this another parable from Jesus in Luke chapter 10. A lot of scripture today. So on one occasion, Jesus said, oh, well, no. Jesus didn't say this. Who did? Luke says this. Um, Luke says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, 
And who is my neighbor? And I imagine Jesus was pretty excited that this guy asked a follow-up question because he launches into a story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, the bad guys, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so this is Jesus' clear call to love all who are in difficult situations. Friends and enemies and strangers. We reach out to care for people because, as we've already said, they are made in the image of God. They have great value. And Jesus shows the value of all people, right, when he... uh, chooses to die on the cross for his friends and his enemies, for Jews and Gentiles, for slaves and free, for rich people and poor people. It doesn't matter. He chose to die for all people because all people are valuable. All life from conception to natural death is valuable. And so as we pray as we vote, as we participate in our community, we need to ask, who is it that is protecting and valuing the sanctity of human life? It's vitally important that we ask that question. The third principle that is important in our political engagement as Christ followers is the strengthening of marriages family, and children. So throughout the Bible, the family is central to God's vision for human beings and human society. Uh, at, At creation, God established marriage and the family as one of his first acts. We could look again at Genesis 1, 27 and 28, but we will look at Genesis chapter 2, where uh, Moses wrote, probably, The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So this is a phenomenal passage of scripture. I I actually did a wedding yesterday. I've decided to tell a story to lighten the... The just teaching. Uh, and so I did a wedding yesterday. My friend Sen 
who I met playing Star Wars miniatures at, at Fanfare Comics and Cards like 15 or 16 years ago. And we, we, we play board games, believe it or not, like ev- almost every Friday. Nerds. But he's a great guy, and, and he was going to get married in April or something, May something, and there's a pandemic, and, and it was going to be this big hootenanny out in, in Benton Harbor, and they postponed it and postponed it and postponed it, and finally they're like, you know what? We're, we're just going to get married. Let's just do this thing. And there's a reception uh, scheduled for 2022, so that's the, the longest uh, space between wedding and, and reception that I am familiar with, so I encourage people, you know, to, to go home, you know, get something to eat as they uh, wait for the, the couple to get their pictures taken, but um, it, was, it was crazy, and, and they're great, they're great folks, they're uh, very careful, and so there's, there's a, it's a small group, everybody's wearing a mask, I, I preached the whole, the whole teaching wearing a mask, and that was, I thought I was going to pass out, that was intense. So, but you do what you got to do, you know, and we got them married and um, it's great. So marriage, I use this text and this marriage is vitally important. And we believe that this is the historical orthodox position of the church. Well, we don't believe that. It just is the historical orthodox position of the church for thousands of years that marriage is between one man and one woman. We believe this is God's intention and this is God's best. At the same time, we grieve and we repent for how the church at large has abused, shamed, or rejected the LGBTQ plus community. And we look for ways to bring grace and hope and truth to our LGBTQ plus friends and family. But we hold fast to the biblical witness of the goodness and the design of marriage. And guess what, friends? This is a difficult tension to hold, right? Uh, especially if you have friends and family that, uh, that struggle with this and showing love and grace and truth. It is, it is really, really hard, right? But we are committed because we just have to, right? We have to love. We have to show grace. But we believe that this is what the biblical witness reveals. And so we're going to hold both of these things in tension at the same time. This uh, text is so important that Jesus and Paul both quote it as they defend uh, the design and the value of marriage. Uh, we see throughout the text that marriage and family are core to healthy communities. Healthy marriages and families lead to flourishing. Right? God cares that men and women take their marriage vows seriously. This is not something flippant that we just like, oh, this feels good today. We'll see what tomorrow holds, right? Look, look at this great passage from Malachi 2.15. The prophet says, Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. What does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Right? And so this is God's plan and intention for marriage. Unfortunately, we live in a, a fallen world where sometimes right, people can't have children. And I know that the struggle of infertility is very, very challenging for a number of, of my friends. And so that doesn't, it doesn't disregard or mean their marriage is unimportant. This is just God's fullest, glorious intention, right? That they'll get married and they have godly offspring. That we 
are fruitful, we multiply and fill the earth. But God here, what I wanted to focus on here is that God, through the prophet, says, do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Right? This is core. And, and so Malachi and many of the prophets, they're talking about justice and the right ordering of society, calling out, uh, I don't remember who Malachi was prophesying to, Israel or, or Judah, calling the, the king to, to be just and order communities correctly. And the core of correctly ordering communities is healthy marriages and healthy families. And so God says, don't be unfaithful to the wife of your youth, right? Guard that and fight for that. We also recognize that God reveals to us, uh, reveals himself to us in the language of family, right? He's adopted us as children. In Romans 8.23, it says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship redemption of our bodies right so we're not just through jesus brought into a nice community or a fun kind of a social club or you know some you know some kind of organization like that the picture he uses is that we're brought into a family right and that, that god is our father and jesus is our brother and you guys are our brothers and, and sisters right and that is how god reveals himself as the father of this great big family. And we see that he has directed us by the Holy Spirit, right, to call him Abba, Father. We see that in Romans 8.15. And by him, the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, right? There's this intimacy. He's not far off and distant, but he's close. And he cares about us and he has invited us in. We even see Jesus use this familial language uh, there's, he's teaching some disciples and his mom and his brothers are looking for him, right? And they come and knock on the door and it's full of people. And the guy comes to, to Jesus and goes, hey, your mom and your brothers are, are looking for you. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Who are my mother and my brothers? These. If you, what does he say? Uh, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and brother and sister. And so we are invited into a family. So we embrace one another uh, as fellow members of the family. And in families, people disagree, right? We have Thanksgiving dinner, right? And there's the crazy uncle that's sitting at the end of the table kind of spouting off his crazy ideas. But guess what? We don't go, you're out. Uncle Bill, you're you're out, right? We're not going to listen to that anymore. I suppose there's a, probably a healthy boundary where Uncle Bill is no longer welcomed in. But if he's just, uh, just talking crazy, you know what? It's just, it's just him. Don't worry about it. You should be fine. Right? And so we have crazy uncles in our church. Not this church, but other churches that, I, that, I, that I've heard of. Right? And we just go, you know what? We're just gonna, that's just how it is. We're a family. And we're just praying that, that God continues to get through to Uncle Bill. Right? And, and so we, we embrace each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We honor marriage as a lifetime covenantal relationship between one man and one woman. I, want, I don't want to let this go and quickly go over this, but we also celebrate the value of single men and single women. 
We uh, just finished our 1 Corinthians Bible study, and a few weeks ago, we spent the whole night talking about 1 Corinthians 7, and Paul's, like, the value that Paul has for singleness is bonkers. And, and he, he values it because those people who are single can devote themselves, right, to serving God, serving the church, serving their community without the distraction of spouse, I love you, baby, uh, or children, right? It's not a bad distraction. It's a great distraction. But we must admit it is a bit of a distraction from putting all of our energy where maybe we would if we were single. Okay, moving along from that, uh, so we just want to value those who are called to be single, uh, both men and women, in, in the church, and we, we value you and we support you as you carry out your ministry. So that all being said, uh, family life reveals to us something of the nature of, of God as, as human families mirror just a, a little as we live together in our unity and our diversity, we learn to forgive and to honor and to prefer others. So as we vote, as we pray for, and as we participate in our communities, we bear witness of the goodness of God and the flourishing that we find in him as we align ourselves with his will and his ways. In our marriages, we, we don't have to stand on a milk crates on, in the corner of a street to proclaim Jesus, right? We can proclaim Jesus just by loving our spouse well. John 17 says that we proclaim that Jesus came, that he is the Son of God, by living in unity within the family of God. Right? These are the things that we participate in that bring glory to God and bear witness of his kingdom. These are the things that we do to usher in the, the kingdom of God, upholding the covenant of marriage as we love our kids as the, as the father loves us, as we hold to biblical sexuality and as we humbly recognize that others are going to make choices that might not line up with how we see the world. Right? We look like the Father as we love people anyway that make poor choices or different choices, just as God pours out his grace on the righteous and the unrighteous. So that's all we have time for today, guys. Next week, we will continue through these eight principles of Christian political engagement. My email address is mark at newdaycommunity.org if you have any questions or concerns. And as we said last week, we have a great opportunity and obligation to to seek the Lord for his wisdom during this time. He promises if we ask for wisdom, he is faithful to give it to us. And in this divisive and tumultuous time, we must seek first the kingdom. We must pray for truth, love people on both sides, walk in humility, and remember that no matter what happens in this election, Jesus is still on the throne. He's coming back and his kingdom is not brought about by political power and influence, but by people who are nothing from a worldly perspective, living the way of Jesus and ushering in his kingdom through self-sacrificial love. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we are so grateful that we get to bear witness of you in our communities. Lord, we thank you for the 
the honor, the, 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 the thing that we get to vote, Lord, that we get to play a part in, in the elections and, and who is leading and uh, our, our nation. And just pray that you would give us wisdom, Lord, that you would help us to go to the voting booth looking uh, through your word, Lord, holding fast to what you say is valuable, important. Help us to see clearly uh, who to to vote for and, and what you have called us to do. And Lord, help us to be gracious to those who maybe uh, approach these things that we agree on from a different perspective. And Lord, help us to bring you glory and honor through all of it. In your name we pray. Amen.